For the next uh, couple weeks, we are going to be focusing on Christ-centered relationships, specifically in a marriage. And I hope that as we talk about this, that it would um, convict you. I hope that this would really speak to you. And at the same time, I hope that it would encourage you too. You know, when I, um, when I prepare for my messages, as I'm preparing, I always take some time to pray for the congregation. For most of you, I, I know you guys pretty well. I know kind of the situations you're in, the, the life stages that you're, that you're in as well. And, and as I pray for you, I'm, I'm always thinking about how can I apply this to your lives? How can I make sure that um, really that, th that this can really speak to you powerfully? Um, and for me, the one thing that I always, always pray is that people would not be persuaded by my words or by my quote-unquote eloquence, but that they would truly be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for this sermon, as I was preparing it and as I was praying over you guys, I kept thinking about our married couples and our divorced singles. And the thing that was on my heart was that, man, you would feel convicted, that you would be encouraged, but within that, that there would be no guilt and no shame. That this world is a broken place, that our marriages as well, as, as perfect as we may want to raise them up and, and, and just be in them, man, there is two broken people coming into that relationship. And so there's going to be brokenness there as well. But we believe in a God who, in spite of that brokenness, is able to bring redemption, who's able to bring restoration, and who's able to bring healing within your own soul. And so and within all of this, man, I hope that you are convicted, yes. I hope that you are encouraged. But, man, I just pray that there would be no guilt or shame as we talk about marriage and what a, biblic what a biblically sound marriage looks like. You know, for Christians, our view of marriage has really changed significantly. Because I know that for a lot of us, we read the Bible and we're a part of a church community and, and we've been living in this Christian lifestyle for a long time, but many of us still have a different view and different understanding of marriage than what it says in the Bible. And the question automatically comes up, how can that be? How can we have a different view of the Bible when we have lived in church community when we read the Bible and we pray to the Lord? Well, the reason is simple. It's because the world inundates us with its own view on marriage. We can see through mass media that the world has its own ideas and its own understanding of what marriage is. And there's a danger to that, church. Because the Bible is very clear that marriage is something created by God and for his glory. That it was an institution that wasn't created by cavemen in some cave or some council with some bishops. It was created by God for his glory in the very beginning. And when we move away from that, 
And when we impose our own ideas, what happens is that we will never experience the true purpose or benefit of all that Christ-centered marriage is supposed to be. You know, this past week, almost all of the gas stations around here have been closed, right? You guys, you guys know that. Even for myself, like, I've been, I've been, like, conscientiously trying to be more careful as I was driving, just in case. I wasn't sure how long it was going to last. And so I was kind of maybe not using as much air conditioning. I was just trying to be a little bit more careful in that way. Now, what if someone came up to me and they were just driving crazy, and they were just using all their, all of their gas, right? And, and I was sitting next to them, and I said, well, aren't, you, aren't you worried at all? I mean, you're, you're almost on empty. Like, aren't you kind of, isn't something wrong here? What if they said to me, look, Pastor Danny, I'm not too worried. Because, you know what, if I run out of gas, then I'll just put water in my car instead. And that's going to be fine. That's ridiculous, Right? I would slap them on the head. I would say, what are you doing? You're going to ruin your car. Because a car is not meant to run on water. It was invented. It was created. It was designed to run on gas. And when you put your own water into it, what's going to happen is you're going to destroy it. Church, when you get married, you are entering into an institution that was created and invented by God. And when he created it, there were certain rules and regulations and guidelines to help you and to help your spouse grow and experience the fullness of all that marriage is supposed to be. It's a beautiful thing. It is the closest reflection of Christ in the church that we have on this earth. And yet we are not going to experience the benefits of that. We're not going to see the purpose of that if we try to impose our own thoughts and regulations and rules into that, what we're meant to do is follow what creation, what God has created us to be within marriage. When you do things your way, through your knowledge, you do it at your own peril. And it will only lead to a breakdown in your relationship because it was not meant to run that way. See, there's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about today and next week. But the main idea is that marriage is a covenant relationship between the husband and the wife with Christ as the center. Everything else flows from that understanding. Let me say that again. The main idea is that marriage is a covenant relationship between the husband and the wife with Christ as the center. Everything else flows from that. And the reason that's so important is because if we are in a covenantal relationship, then our, our source of grace, our source of sacrifice, and our source of love is not based on one another. It's not based on our actions or inactions with the other spouse. It is based on our understanding of the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That is the point of having Jesus Christ as the center of our lives. A Christian marriage is not centered on two people. It's two people who are centered on Christ. 
And because you understand the depth of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that's when you're able to enter into this covenantal relationship with another person. You see, church, the the difficulty for modern Christians is that we live in a quote-unquote contractual society and we're driven by contractual relationships. And many Christian couples take this type of mentality and this, okay, contract type of relationship into our marriages, and that's when the breakdown occurs. You see, one of the main characteristics of a contract or a contractual relationship is that there's some type of exchange happening. It can be exchange of services. It can be exchange of goods. But something is always being given and something is always being taken. You see, it's the mentality of, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you love me well, then I'll love you well. If you serve me in these ways, then I will serve you in those ways. And this, typing, this type of thinking is so prevalent in our society and how we deal with our relationships that it has infiltrated the way that we view our marriages. But church, I want to show you that our marriage and that marriages in the Bible is so much more than contractual, it's covenantal. Let me read to you verses 23 to 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, the connection that Paul uses here for marriage is Christ and the church. And it's not just this these two verses, when you read the entire passage, he is constantly saying that. He is constantly pointing out that a marriage between a man and his wife are always connected and is analogous to Jesus and the church. Why is he doing that? It's because Jesus and the church are in a binding covenantal relationship. You see, in Hebrews 8, The author here, he contrasts two different types of covenants. The first covenant was made by God to the people of Israel when he took them out of Egypt. And God says, look, I have made this covenant with you. I have made a promise to you. However, he says, there is a new covenant that is coming. And it is greater than the old one. And it is a covenant made by Jesus to the church through his death and resurrection. You see, by speaking of Jesus and the church, Paul is telling us that the relationship between the husband and the wife is a covenantal one. But that's not the only connection that Paul makes. Because in verse 31 it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father, shall leave his mother, and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, when it says leaving, another word that you can use for that is uh, cleaving off or a, a tearing away from your father and from your mother and from your mother. 
And you see, Paul, he is very intentional in his word usage here. Because when Jews and Gentiles would read that language, when they would hear that specific leaving or cleaving or tearing away, they would automatically think back to covenant promises. See, in Genesis 15, God, he makes a covenant promise with Abraham where he cleaves or tears apart an animal and goes through the pieces. What God was doing is that he was promising Abraham that for Abraham and all of his descendants, that he would protect them and that he would stay faithful regardless of whatever they, whatever they did. That even if they were faithless, that even in their action or inaction, that God would stay faithful. And the reason why he would walk through this torn animal is to say, if I break that promise, then would you tear me apart like this animal is torn apart? It was a covenantal vow. I'm thinking of, uh, of petitioning for our marriage ceremonies to have us walk through animal carcasses too. How cool would that be, huh? Now, that's the true vow of love, right? But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you walk through an animal. It doesn't matter if you exchange rings. It doesn't matter if you say certain words. What makes a covenant relationship is the understanding that you're signing up for more than a give-and-take relationship. It's the understanding that you're, you're going into a relationship that is so much deeper and so much greater than what can you give me? If you give me this, then I'll give you that. It is so much greater than that. It's an understanding that you are going to be with the other person regardless of whether they act or not act. You see that? It's regardless of how you feel in the moment or how they feel. You're saying, look, I am going to stick with you. I will be with you. That is my vow to you. That is my promise to you. You know, if you ever go to a wedding and the vows speak all in the present and say things like, man, I am so in love with you and that's why I'm going to care and to serve you, I want you to know that that person has a fundamental misunderstanding of what biblical marriage is. And you know what, I want to encourage you to stand up and say, I, you know, I, this is wrong, right? No, I'm kidding, don't say that. Look, Christian vows, they are focused on a covenantal marriage that says nothing about the present and nothing about your feelings. What covenantal marriage vows look like is that you would be promising things for the future, regardless of your feelings or your actions. You see, the affection that you have for the other person, that's already a given. You're not going to marry somebody you hate. However, the thing that you should be pointing out in a covenantal vow is saying, I promise to be with you. I promise that I will serve you. I promise that I will care for you. That in sickness or in health, I'm going to be there. That in poverty or in riches, I will be there for you. That I am going to love you in happiness or in sadness. This is my future promise to you. It is not based upon feelings. It is not based upon actions or what that person can give you. That is a contractual relationship. 
A covenantal one is based upon the future. Therefore, if a biblical marriage, a covenantal one, is meant to be covenantal at its core, then there's a major implication for this. And we've briefly just grazed on it. And it's that a covenantal love within a marriage is not based on what you can get or how you feel in the moment. Covenantal love is all about commitment. It is all about commitment, church. It is commitment based on not one's fluctuating feelings or changing circumstances. It is based upon your promise to them for the future. You see, when God enters into a covenantal relationship with his people, he makes a commitment and he says, I will stay faithful regardless of what happens. And we see two things within that Old Testament promise that God makes. First is that the people run away from God and they are faithless to him, that they are inactive or they are too active towards other gods. And yet within it, he stays faithful to them. The other part is that within all of that, he is angry. He is disappointed. You can see that he is so frustrated at what is happening, and yet he stays faithful. He promises to serve. He promises to love. Even if his people turn away, even if they don't serve him, even if they are not sacrificial enough. And we see this exemplified in the Bible again and again. You see, church, this means that covenantal love is not based on feelings. It's an action. You could say that it's almost a, a habit that you build. And look, I'm the first one to tell you, I know that sounds super unromantic, right? I know. I've watched the Korean dramas. I've watched these things. I know that, you know, we think in this society that love is locking eyes with that stranger across the room. We know that it's when we have those, but, you know, that butterfly feelings of, man, he, he, that he or she makes the sun, may, sun feel a little bit warmer, the flowers a little bit sweeter, where all of that stuff, we think love is based on feelings, but I want you to know that covenantal love is so much more than that. Look, covenantal love is so much deeper and greater when you realize that it does not change with time, but it stays constant and consistent through different feelings and circumstances. Doesn't that sound so much better, church? Look, are you the same person that you were 10 years ago? course not. Are you the same person that you were five years ago? Even a year ago? No. What makes you think that the person that you marry on the altar today is going to be the exact same person tomorrow? They're not. They're going to change. They're going to look different. They're going to be older. Their personality is going to shift and to mold and to change Everything is going to be different. And when you base your love upon your feelings or upon circumstances, then guess what? Those things are going to change and divorce can happen. However, when you base your love 
upon a covenantal type of love that doesn't change with circumstances, that doesn't change with feelings, but stays with commitment, then what's going to happen is that you will grow with one another in that security and comfort, knowing that even if you do change, that even if you get older, that even if you get wrinkles and gray hair, that that love is there, that it's constant, that it is steady. That is covenantal love. How do we know it's supposed to be a love based on commitment rather than feelings? You see, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did you know that the word love that's used here that says love your wife is the same word that's used when Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, if that's the case, then obviously it doesn't make sense that you would feel the same way or have the same affection towards your wife as you would for your enemy. And so when the Bible tells us to love our enemies, it's saying that regardless of how we feel or how betrayed we are, or what they make us feel inside, we do good to them. It means that our actions may not match the feelings that we have, but we will care for them because that is the biblical and good thing to do. And that's why we turn the other cheek. That if someone hits us, we turn. Not because we enjoy the pain of it. What? That's weird. No, it's because we, we understand this concept. We understand, man, it's important. You see, this is a covenantal type of love. It's, it's a love that's based on so much more, on something so much deeper than your circumstances, than your feelings. You see, the problem for so many marriages is that we base our love on our feelings and the actions of the other person. And you know, in the beginning, that's, that's great. It's all peaches and, and, and gravy and, and, and rainbows and, and it's all, everything's good, right? And, and even when you do fight in the beginning, it's not really like a fight. It's like it's an argument and then immediately one person apologizes and, and things are really, really good, right? But church, I want you to understand that the danger that the Bible is speaking about is not about today. It's about tomorrow. That the danger it's speaking about, and when, when it really talks about covenantal promises, it's never talking about just what's presently happening. It's talking about the future things that could happen as well. Because in 10 years, in 20 years, in however many years, there's going to be a time when your spouse makes mistake after mistake, and they wrong you again and again. And when that happens, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? You see, if you base your relationship upon each other, if you base your relationship on worldly types of love, then the result is that, look, if you are not giving to me what I want, and if you continue to make these mistakes, then all I can do is turn away from you too. You don't deserve what I'm giving you, and so I'm not going to give you that. And so time goes on, Distance has grown, and over a period of months, 
of years, of decades, they grow apart until divorce is inevitable. But when it's a covenantal relationship, your understanding is that love is not based on what they've done or haven't done. It's based on your understanding that you are a sinner in Christ and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that whether or not they deserve it, you are going to serve them because whether or not you deserved it, Jesus served you. Jesus loved you. That even in the depths of your sin, he died on the cross for you. And so because Jesus Christ is the center of your life, because he is your absolute identity, you are going to serve your spouse in that way. And this is the whole point of not putting your spouse as the center of your world. They are the most important person in your life, yes. But Jesus Christ is the center of your world. Do you understand that? When you have that theological understanding then whether or not they deserve it, you will serve them. Whether or not they deserve it, you will love them. And that is a covenantal type of love that is dependent upon the grace of Jesus Christ, not upon whether they deserve it or not. And look, marriage is not robotic. And I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't like the other person or connect with them. Of course you should. One of the most beautiful things about a covenantal marriage is that you have someone who truly understands you inside and out, who not only sees you naked physically, but intimately, mentally, emotionally, in all of those different ways. What a beautiful thing to have someone like that and still accept you and love you. But what I'm trying to tell you is that there are a lot of people who believe that love is a feeling and that they know it's going to be time to be married when they have this overwhelming feeling of love for someone else. And they think it's going to be this perfect type of love where the stars align and there won't be any doubts. But church, I want to tell you, and I think you, you can go to any married person here, those feelings will fade. And if you do not understand the the biblical theology of commitment within a covenantal relationship, it will be so difficult for you to hold on to your relationship if it's purely built on feelings or on attraction. In fact, I would say that maybe one of the worst things that could happen is that you find someone that has the exact face type or body type that you have been fantasizing about for years. Because you see, in the beginning, it may feel like a perfect type of love. But when those feelings fade away, and the Bible says that they will fade away, what will you hold on to? Marriage is a commitment. See, the days that you show your spouse and God that you are growing in the Lord are going to be the days when you are lo loving your spouse even when maybe they don't deserve it. It's going to be the days when, man, they have wronged you, or maybe they've messed up, or maybe you're just not feeling it, and yet you continue to serve and to care and to sacrifice for them. It is easy to serve people who deserve it. It is easy to sacrifice for people who have sacrificed a lot for you. 
but to really do it when it's hard and when you're in the trenches of marriage, man, the Bible says that that is biblical love. That is a covenantal type of love. Look, church, our greatest example is Jesus Christ. Our greatest example of covenantal love is Jesus. It's why Paul, it's why Paul encompasses the entire passage on marriage with this analogy of Jesus and the church, Jesus and the church, Jesus and the church. You see, Jesus didn't just die for a certain group of people. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to only die for the really attractive or, you know what, I'll die for you if you're a doctor or a lawyer. Or if, you know, if you can make me laugh, then, then I'll think about dying for you. How ridiculous would that be? Jesus died for us. That's it. He died for all of us. And even though he was in such anguish that he was sweating drops of blood, he acted and he committed and he died for us. It wasn't based on his feelings in the moment. It wasn't based on the actions or inactions of the Jewish people there. He died for us because he was committed to his relationship to us. I just want to end with this. If you're married or single, there's just one application point that I want you to understand what, what it means to be in a covenantal relationship here. You know, I think as you listen to this sermon, it may be natural to begin thinking of, of how can I grow in my marriage or how can I grow in my future marriage? And I think it's really easy to begin looking at your spouse and, and start to compare. Why, why isn't he like this? Why isn't, why isn't she like this? And, and you begin to wonder and think about other more spiritually mature couples who seem like everything is going really well. And, and you ask, how did they invest in one another? What are some of the steps that I can take to really grow for them? Or what are some steps that my spouse can take to really, to really invest in me? Before you think about steps you should take on what you can do, I want to challenge you to think about your own spiritual health. If you are growing in your relationship and understanding of God, then what's going to happen is that you will naturally invest into your wife or your husband. And the, the opposite is true as well. As much as you want to invest and care for your husband or for your wife, if spiritually you are down and you are not doing well and you are not connected to Christ, there is no way that this type of covenantal love will ever transpire within your relationship with your spouse. You see, John Piper, he says it this way, the greatest investment you can make in your spouse is the investment you make in your own soul. What he's saying is that it's easy to separate marriage into pieces so that it becomes this type of project. I need to read another book. I need to go to another seminar. I need to learn the right love language. But the most important thing that you can do to serve and to love your spouse in a biblical way is to cry out to God and ask him to make you a new person. It's to ask him to transform your life. It's to ask him that you would be renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
When was the last time you have cried out for those things? Trust me, that is going to be the difference maker in your marriage. That will be the difference maker in your future marriage as well. Church, cry out to the Lord. Ask for a renewal of your spirit. If you have that, then everything else is going to flow through. You're not going to have to make a 10-step plan. You're not going to have to make a project out of things. It will come naturally to you. You're going to love and to sacrifice and to care sacrificially because you will innately understand the grace of God and all that he has done for you. Your relationship is not going to be the center of your universe. This world is not going to be the center of your universe. It will be Jesus Christ who is. And you will care for the most important person in your life in a way that is good and pleasing to the Lord. So fight for your marriage and invest in your spouse by caring for your soul. Amen? Let's pray.